Hey, you. Yeah, don't look behind you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they try to sneak huge fees in at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I'm going up to Dallas next month, meaning July, to try to check out some Rangers games. And you'd better believe I'm going to use SeatGeek. I used it for my trip in Detroit I told you guys about. Um, I've been recommending it to people left and right all across the country, to be honest. A couple friends in different spots been recommending it. My buddy is in New York, and he's going up to visit his family a little bit for the summer. And he and his dad are already mapping out where they, what they're going to go see uh, in terms of Mets games with SeatGeek. Honestly, it's the only place I use now. I used to use other places, I'll freely admit. The one that frequently gets mentioned here, StubHub. Stopped using it. It's not, it's not necessary at this point because uh, SeatGeek's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Now, I remember when MLB.com first got this for their stadiums, and it was awesome. But I would, you know, be on the StubHub app or something, and then I'd have I buy the ticket or look at a section, then I go to the MLB site and have to kind of, you know, use their stadium view. Now it's all it's all in one with SeatGeek, and the grading is just color coding. So if you know a stoplight, green means go, red means halt. So if you see a red one in the section you want, maybe relax and try to find a green one because those are going to be the better price tickets uh, for their value. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you at the end with huge fees. Now, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to Settings, and click Add Promo Code. Enter the promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's really easy. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Friday, July 22nd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, wrapping up another week. How are you doing? I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's been a great week, Eno, and <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's been a great day, I should say. And this, uh, Listen, I'm going to be honest. This doesn't necessarily apply to you, but it applies to some of our listeners. As I've made clear millions of times, I play MLB The Show quite a bit. And each week... They update the roster based on how players are performing in the majors, but they also bring out flashback cards to, you know, prime prime versions of players, rookie versions of players. And today was finally the day, the card I've been waiting for since the game came out back in March. They brought out the, the, the Justin Verlander, and I'm very, very excited. <laughs> so what you can do is you can get the rookie Verlander, and then you have to accumulate 125 strikeouts with him in various games to then get the prime Verlander. And uh, 
I almost quit the podcast just to work on on the strikeouts <laughs> today. I almost quit every jump. You know, no more fan graphs, no more roller wire. Give up Charlotte just to focus on it. Just me and JV. Yeah, but I but I came to my senses and realized that working is still probably a good option. But you better believe I'll be up all night playing. So uh, pretty excited. I was able to get the rookie Verlander. It was not easy. Had to had to go on the market and and and, and basically get it. But yeah, nerding out really hard on that. Super excited. Plenty of baseball to talk about today, though, too. Also excited about a lot of what we've got on tap to discuss. You wrote a, a piece recently on, on Lance McCullers that we have to dive into. Trade rumors swirling. We've been telling you guys about them recently. And again, probably on Wednesday, we're going to do more of a deep dive on on what teams could do over the that upcoming weekend because I think that's when we'll see a lot of the movement right now. We've still got teams that are, you know, are they in, are they out? The Yankees have always been, you know, their bullpen has been talked about as a potential hotbed for trading, and then they go out and win four straight um, against, an, uh, the, you know, playing well against the Orioles too. So to see that kind of movement for them, I, I, they lost yesterday, but they've been playing well. They're still kind of hanging in there, and we know how hard it is for the Yankees to want to sell. So that's going to be interesting. Um, we got lots to talk about on the trade front today. Also, so a big prospect going back to AAA, some guys performing well, some guys performing poorly. So let's dive right in. Let's start with a big competitor of the Yankees, a potential roadblock to the Yankees getting into the playoffs, excuse me. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays have quietly, you know, I think, I don't think they're getting a lot of run. And you look up and they're a game and a half back of, uh, they're a game back of the Orioles based on games played. Um, they have two two more losses than them, but the same amount of wins. The Red Sox leading that division, but all three teams, Red Sox, Orioles, Blue Jays, have the same amount of wins, 54. It's all it's the losses right now. It's just the games played is different. Red Sox, 39 losses. Orioles, 40. Jays, 42. Really tight division. Yankees hanging out there, as I mentioned, 48-47. Toronto was apparently scouting two guys that threw yesterday, Andrew Kashner and the Yankees' very own C.C. Uh, Sabathia. Sabathia. I always mess up that name. Uh, I don't know if you saw his balk yesterday. I kind of felt bad for him. His foot got caught or whatever, and he, and he fell down. But, um, you know, Kashner pitched really well in St. Louis, kind of a normal Kashner start. I don't think he went super deep into it. Uh, Sabathia was not great. Six and two-thirds, seven, inning, or seven hits, excuse me, four runs, one, one walk, two strikeouts. The strikeouts were low. Like a six and two-thirds, four runs, that's not bad. That keeps him in it. They lost that game, as I mentioned, because they couldn't do anything against Chris Tillman. But he'd been pitching really well up to a point. I think his last few starts, he's kind of come back to earth. Actually, a good handful of starts. His last six, uh, Sabathia has given up four or more in every one of them, including a couple fives in there, a six against Texas, although he did go seven innings in that. So Kashner may be looking like the better option right now, especially more plausible because it wouldn't be trading in division. What do you think of Toronto going out to get a starter? I feel like this is the, the tier that they're going to want to live in. They're not going to be able to get a David Price again this year, but instead they're going to go for somebody who's who's you know solid, that gives them something at the back end, especially as they move uh, Aaron Sanchez toward the bullpen. So what, what do you think of Kashner or Sabathia over to the, to the Jays? Uh, it's interesting. I doubt that CC goes in the division, but maybe. I mean, we we haven't really seen the Yanks as sellers before. So. Yeah, I mean, some of you listening have never seen them as sellers. The last time <laughs> that they truly sold, I think I mentioned this the other day, 89, when they traded some guy that nobody's ever heard of named Ricky Henderson. 
yeah. Yeah. I don't think they well, got a great that, return either. Yeah. Well, that's that's what happens. Anyway, um, you know, I I, uh, I don't know actually. I thought that maybe we could get, you know, Sanchez through the year. Last last podcast we were talking about how maybe we could get him through the year with a little bit of finagling. Mm-hmm. So maybe Cashner makes sense if he's cheap because then, you know, he'd be pretty awesome out of the bullpen. Oh yeah. And we were talking about how they kind of need bullpen help. So if you get Cashner, you you know move Sanchez to the bullpen or, or make him a long reliever, kind of like what you see with Rysel Iglesias, where he pitches every couple of days, you know, two or three innings. As um, you know, you can you can use guys like that more effectively than Iglesias and Yusmer Petit have been used in the past because you can bring them in in a three zero game in the fourth. Exactly. You know, I think it would be. Instead of six zero in the sixth or something, you know? really smart for them to to bring him in those high leverage. You get five out of you know Estrada, maybe his back's still ailing, and say, listen, we just need five from you today, bud, and then we're gonna turn it over to Sanchez for two or three, and then all of a sudden that he's that bridge to Osuna a couple times a week. That's huge. You're still kind of saving his innings a little bit, saving his innings, and maybe as like you said, we finagled it. Maybe they get a situation where. They're able to kind of get through August and early September just keeping Sanchez in the bullpen. Then in late September, they stretch him back out so that they have him for the playoffs as a starter. You know, I you really like want him. I mean, you'd, you'd rather have him than Kashner as your number two or three Absolutely. or Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Even with Kashner, you know, he pitched, like I said, he pitched well in St. Louis yesterday, five and two thirds, three hits, one run, no walks, eight strikeouts. That's a hell of a start for Kashner. He has a 479 ERA on the season, though. So those are. Those are not the norm in terms yeah. of what he can do. Now, you were looking at something. I don't want to spoil kind of where we were going with it. Or actually, wait, it was it was because of Kashner, right, that you were looking at? Yeah, it was at... because of Kashner. Yeah, you know, uh, we've always talked about on this podcast about how he's been the less than the sum of his parts. And, you know, part of it is his tinkering with a slider. You know, he's always you – know, he's gone between a knuckle slider and a traditional slider grip. He sliced his hand, you know, dressing a deer once and – um, had to switch between the knuckle and the whatever and Who the back and that, forth. Though, by the way, <laughs> always I'm always knee deep in deer blood. <laughs> but um, so uh, he he so he uh, he's tink he's a tinkerer with those those secondary pitches, and I think to some extent they're worse than we thought. To some extent, he hasn't trusted them as much as he could, and that's why I think we talked about how he got mad at me when I I said, "Have you ever thought about pitching your?" Uh, throwing your fastball less often. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, and uh, that's when he got a little mad at me. So, um, uh, so I, I I just saw a little thing about how uh, his extension isn't great, and we don't talk about it very often on here. But uh, his extension is not good. Uh, at uh, five point six feet, uh, he basically short arms the ball somehow. And his perceived velocity, therefore, is is lower than his actual velocity. So he's so, not he's not you know stretching it out like a you know Tim Lincecum with that with that huge step or uh, David Robertson just really releases the ball really far out front. You know uh, here Jake Degrom actually leads the league in the difference between actual uh, perceived velocity and actual velocity. Jake Degrom's fastball this year is perceived at ninety four point eight even though he's only humping it in there at 93.4. So, you know, Dave DeGrom jumps off the rubber, gets real far extension, is a lanky guy, you know, long arms, uh, releases out in front. Kashner looks like he's tall. I mean, he is tall, he's, but he just... Yeah. 
He just doesn't. He doesn't. So I, I ran, you know, expected velocity versus versus actual. And the worst guys in the league when it comes to starters, uh, Justin Nicolino's fastball is perceived at 87. Um, even though he actually gets it across the plate at 89, or he releases at 89.5. Wow. Uh, Marco Estrada, you know, perceived at 86.9, uh, which is sort of amazing that he's so good anyway. Uh, Bartolo Colon at 86.4. So he's basically just throwing changeups up there. Uh, Drew Smiley, part of maybe some of the reason why, even though he throws 90.6 as a lefty, uh, people are seeing it at 88.9. Hitting, hitting uh, Nick Tropiano's fastball is worse than it should be. Uh, Drew Pomerantz uh, is. So if you go down the list, you find Andrew Kashner at 18th. Uh, 18th even though worst, actually, right? 18th worst. He actually throws the the even though he leaves the the ball leaves his hands at 94.3. Uh, hitters perceive it at 92.9. And that's 18th worst, but there's some relievers that made the cut. So uh, it's actually probably among starters, probably around 15th worst, right there with uh, Matt Kane and Jordano Ventura. The guys we've known uh, don't get as much extension as they should. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we, now we know that his fastball is actually less than the sum of its parts. We know that his changeup is not as good as we might have thought it was. Uh, and the only caveat I have is that August wrote a great piece about after coming back from the DL um, you know, at Kashner started throwing basically like the Worthen slider, like a hard 87 mile an hour slider, started throwing a lot more often, and that led to a lot more whiffs. So, if he does that, I think he could be a little better than he was, but we still have to remember that the other parts are worse than we think they are. So, is, is, is there a situation because this, this, this sort of stuff kind of gets thrown out easily? Um, on on narrative street of like, well, if he gets to a change of scenery and a, and a coach can change him, you know. How likely is it that that a pitching coach could say, "Well, listen, we have this data here. You don't get extension. Let's work on this mechanical change." Like, is that something that could be implemented in season? Could the Toronto scouts know what you're talking about here and coaches and say, "Well, if we could just get him getting some extension, although they have a guy already who is on on the low end of that, like you said with uh, Marco Estrada, is there how quickly can that be changed in in your? Um, I know it, it's probably case by case, but in your estimation, is that something that could be changed in season for a guy, extension? I don't know. It's it's a pretty complicated thing, and pitchers tell me for the most part that big changes like that are are not in-season things. Yeah, they got to be an off. It would seem like it has to be an off-season thing. Yeah, Samarja was basically telling me that last year uh, he couldn't make any big changes in season, and he kept he kept trying to make little changes and it just all felt, you know, fell apart. So yeah, my fantasy teams uh, know that Jeff. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I think it'd be more likely that, uh, you know, if he, if he signs on with a new team that, that's, you know, they're like, we're, we're interested in you because we think we can do this with you. That, uh, that seems very possible. I mean, um, he's, he's a guy that he's, it feels like he's a tweak away from being a lot better than than uh, he is right now. now so the, the thing of it is, if a team was interested in that, though, they'd have to resign him because Andrew Kashner is a rental. Right, and uh, you know, even if the Toronto Blue Jays are that team because they are pretty analytical, I, you know, I doubt that they have a lot of money to sign him. You know, maybe if he's cheap, maybe that's cool. But that'd be you know something that probably more likely to happen next year, if. You know the narrative, you know, succeeds, and it's because of the slider that he's throwing more than you know fixing his perceived velocity. Mm-hmm. So, 
you know, there is a little slight chance that he's useful. I, you know, I might bid on him if he comes to the American League, but I do know that, you know, the Rangers and Blue Jays, you know, that being the, the two places he's most rumored to go to, that's not really exciting. No, you know? no, you no. don't, you don't Padres want to... any pitcher in there. Uh, to those, <laughs> yeah, like so... some good offensive support, but you're not you're not dying to take a guy who again has a 4.79 ERA, as I mentioned, 140 WHIP, and say let me throw him in a new league, the AL especially in Toronto or Texas. Yikes! I'm but, looking at I'm looking at like him versus Matt Boyd, and I'm not even sure you know in the American League only, 12 team American League only. That's the kind of decision you're making. If you need a starter, you're you're looking at you know the bottom. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, it's not even I'm that not big sure of a difference. That, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure that I that I don't put Boyd ahead of him, and my max bid on either of them is probably around three dollars. So and and that won't get Cashner because he's the name and coming over, he, well, he, you would, know, he would he would draw some bucks. It's labor, uh, you know. I doubt that um, the name values is uh, ringing too deeply. You, but you know, I'll bet needs, you. I'll bet you if he comes over, he goes double digits. Yeah, eleven, thirteen. Yeah, something, something like that. Which is, it's not obscene, but I might just go get Boyd for that, a couple bucks. That's what I'm saying, because you're also going to save money if you go with Boyd. You mentioned Texas, and they're looking at one of your guys, Anthony Descafani, who you, you've been, you've been on the hype train for him. He had a solid year last year. If you really dug into his season, you saw a lot that you liked. Uh, you specifically did. I'm saying if anybody did, though, there, there was stuff to like. And then we thought it was going to be a short injury this year because that was the news that we kept getting. Oh, late April, or late April, early May. So if you can just shelve him for a month, he'll be all right. That's why you got to be careful with those because timetables, you just never know. They're just timetables. They can give you an idea, but they're not surefire. He didn't start pitching until June 10th, but Anthony Descafani has been awesome, Eno. He's only given up more than three runs once, and that was uh, three of them were unearned. So he's only given up a max of three earned runs just two different times this year. Otherwise, it's been ones, twos. He's got an eight shutout against uh, the Padres. He's been really good. 250 ERA in his 50 and a third innings. Strikeouts are holding firm to where they've been, but the walks are down a full walk from 2-7 to 1-6. What's Descofani doing this year? Are these strides forward, or is this just a hot run? No, I think this is just, um, you know, we talk about some people like to talk about second half splits and I don't think second half splits are useful in themselves. And sometimes you look at them and you say, Oh, you know, well, Discofani was a lot better in the second half last year. And, uh, you know, that's, so maybe that predicted what's going on here. I I think that you're just looking at the wrong thing. You know, you need to look at like pitching mix change. Right. And, And that informed the second half surge. So, uh, so why not just skip to the pitching mix change? It, was, so, it wasn't the calendar. He doesn't yeah, see August yeah. and say it's August. Now I'm gonna try. <laughs> now I'm gonna try. Uh, so anyway, he, uh, I think he can command. He has a knuckle curve now, at, or spike curve. You know, uh, some people are very uh, distinct between those two. I sort of use them interchangeably. But like, let's say it's a spike curve. He has a spike curve grip now that he can command. And I think that was the big difference with the change. The change has okay movement, but he can't command it. And so I think mostly people just spit at it, you know, and they just let it they let it go out of the zone. And so it just becomes kind of a show-me pitch to kind of, you know, tinker with uh, velocity levels and stuff like that. 
But, um, you know, the curveball now gives him three legit pitches and he can command it better because it's a little bit more like his slider. And I think, you know, fastball slider curve is not the thing that uh, we thought of, you know, recently as being a, a, a full arsenal. But I think that it used to be, you know, back in the day, it used to be fastball slider curve was a very was a full arsenal. And I think that more, more recently we've started to see pitchers that are succeeding with it. I was a little bit worried that Discafani had, you know, a couple outings where the, the strikeouts weren't there. Um, but, you know, it's good velocity. It's uh, it, I love the pitches distinctly, and the command has taken a full leap forward. And if you think about what he used to be like, he used to be a guy who could command the ball. And then the only time that he had trouble with walks was when he's trying to show the changeup more. Mm-hmm. So it all, you know, the narrative is there, uh, and I believe it in this case. Yeah. It, will he survive, you know, going to a worse park? He's in a pretty bad park right now. I was going to say, is it even that much worse from from Cincinnati to Texas, especially with the architectural changes in Texas that have taken it from being an obscene hitter's park? It's still a place where you want to hit. Um, you know, the, the heat alone is certainly makes it friendly, and it is plus for runs. But for home runs, I'm looking at uh, uh, the, the park factors now. They're about neutral. So it's it's not really the end of the world in terms of where somewhere where you would want to be, yeah, maybe the AL is a little bit tougher. I get that. There's not as many bottom feeders in the National League, but if if you're, if you're looking at home runs specifically, which is you know kind of the, the the main key in a park factor situation, he would be improving his parks if Desclafani went from Cincinnati to Texas. Yeah, but that's is that true? Yeah, Texas right now. I mean, I'm looking at Stack Corner because they have the individual hand ones. Uh, right. And it's 99 for lefties, 96 for righties. That's a three-year running average that they have. And it's due to a jet stream that was cut out by uh, a building that was put up there. And we, 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 we see these sorts of things happen. San Diego has had some building changes, some architectural uh, changes with the scoreboard specifically that has curbed them from being such a pitcher's park too. They've gone the other way. And so you got to be careful when you, you, when you see these things. Perception is that, oh, yeah, I'll throw anybody in San Diego. Now, you can still throw guys there because it's the Padres especially, but it's not the automatic pitcher's park anymore, and Texas is no longer the automatic hitter's park that you have to be deathly afraid of. Again, it, interesting. it's still yeah, plus yeah. for runs, just not for home runs anymore. Yeah, and ours ours may be a little bit behind the scene, uh, behind you know, uh, you know, our ours may be not as fast as others because we three year regress our park factors. Mm-hmm. So you know, if they are making, they did make architectural changes in Texas, and those may not be reflected in ours as much. But even though, with that caveat, at least for homers, Reds is one twelve, one fourteen, lefty righty. Rangers is one hundred six, one hundred four. So at least the home runs go down. Ours say the balls in play favor uh, Texas a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so you could see the you know the whip go up a little bit. Um, but uh, you know I think uh, this could be a bit of a coming out party for him. Although I'm not sure he's going to be traded because they still have a decent amount of control on him. Absolutely. They needed a guy like this, and they finally got one. Are they you know rushing to trade him? The only thing is if they internally know something about his mechanics and his injury history and think he's not going to stay healthy. Yeah. You know, that, so that's, that why, that's why Vince Velazquez was traded. Yep. They, they, so, they were worried that he would not hold up 
and he did get hurt this year already, but he's been so electric when he does pitch that, you know, you feel like he could do what, what Ken Giles was doing at the very least. But again, they wanted to start him, so I understand why they made the trade. Hasn't worked out perfectly for Houston yet, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if that works. So keep an eye on Anthony Descalfani. I agree with you. I don't think he's going to be traded, but that was a, a, a one of the latest rumors. Um, his latest outing, eight strong innings against the Braves. Just two runs uh, against them. That's two eight-inning outings that he's had, too. I like, I like seeing Descalfani go deep in the games. Now, we talk about prospects, and they're often, often the questions in every chat are, when is this one coming up? When's this one coming up? And we get so hyped on them because of what could be. And sometimes they just punch you right in the throat and say, maybe not. And A.J. Reed was one of those that was like, when's he going to come up? When's he going to come up? He's going to be an automatic, right? He's going to hit. He's going to dominate. It's only 52 plate appearances, so I'm hardly writing him off, but he's been demoted because he had a 156, 250, 289 line. That clears out some of the clutter that they have. Does it clear any sort of pathway for Bregman? I, I'll ask the question that everyone else is already asking out loud to their phones or their listening device right now. I'm not sure it does, but what do you think? Does A.J. Reed's demotion open up a little bit more room to wiggle in uh, Bregman? Sure. I mean, they didn't call up Singleton or anything. So uh, right now, first base is like Marwin Gonzalez, Luis Valbuena. And if you look at our depth charts, suddenly Alex Bregman has the most polite appearances left at third base. Because, yeah, Valbuena moves over to first. That's that is a big deal. And then on top of that, Bregman's been playing in left field. Colby Rasmus has really fallen off since since a hot start and, you know, been who we thought he was, basically. And, um, you know, I've seen I saw him muttering to his bat in the clubhouse the other day. Uh, so I, I feel like uh, bat, I uh, swear he's to feeling God. fresh. A bit. I mean, for sure, he knows that Bregman's taking at bats in the in the outfield. I miss so. that, by the way. Yeah. Two games in left field, one game at third base. So they are starting to move him around more. Remember, they, they put him at third base a little bit in double A. We all got giddy on that. He gets called up to AAA, and he was being straight shortstop for Bregman. So it's like, oh, I guess they put that to rest. But now two games outfield, one game third base. Okay, it's looking like and, they want to move. They want to get him moved up now. And it ha- it can happen real fast. I mean, think back to Mookie Betts, you know, or Manny Machado. Remember when he was se- covertly taking third base practice before games, and yeah, then and, we, and then all of a sudden there he is. Yep, you know, yep. and uh, I think the same thing is going to happen with Bregman. Uh, someone's tweeted me a rumor from a clubhouse guy, you know, text. He sent me a text message that he blacked out the guy's name. <laughs> and it was awesome. like, oh, are you serious? And the guy's like, yeah. And the guy's like, you're my guy. You're not screwing me on this, right? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> no, I'm definitely like, I'm not going to run with this. I'm not going to run with this. <laughs> Although I have now polluted the airways with that. So, well, uh, if it happens, it's, it's like, you know, you're Whatever right, though. Guy, Here's the thing. It's it's, it's just going to sneak up. I doubt there's going to be any any lead up because, like, right now it feels like, okay, they're, they're putting up roadblocks to keep Bregman down. They didn't bring him up. Everyone thought that he was going to come up right after the All-Star break. And, you know, I'm even saying, like, okay, I don't think he's going to right away. But the thing that just changed my mind a, a decent bit there was that he was he's got these three games at other positions. If they're already starting to put him back into other positions again, A.J. Reed pushed down. Valbuena over to first because that, that was the one thing I'm like you can't just kick Valbuena out. That's not a good message to say that you've had a you've had a really good season. It's not like he's fringe. He's been a one uh, let's see 119 
OPS plus. That's that's quality uh, at third base for Valbuena. And if you just punish that by saying, well, we got to bring up this young guy to give him a shot. No, but now you can slide him to first. That creates some room for Bregman. So everyone's holding on. Don't really. There's no action here. There's no call to action I, because he's not available anywhere. But uh, it could, yeah. could be sooner now. Could be sooner. I, 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 you know, as much as that rumor was unbelievable, you know, looking between the lines and seeing the left field and third base stuff, uh, seeing the AJ Reed demotion, I, you know, my 11 teamer, the only place where he's available, I went and got him. Okay. So, so we're, I just we're dropped back on the Bregman train. I dropped Matt Adams and Jake McGee for Alex Bregman and Jerickson Profar. Say that again, I'm sorry? I dropped uh, Matt Adams and Jake McGee okay. for Alex Bregman and Jerickson Profar. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in on both those moves. Absolutely. And that was, you know, it's an 11-team league with a short bench. Uh, well, I don't know, four, six, six-man bench. Um, I guess that's about average. Yeah, that's my But I, I was playing with, like, pretty much nobody – um, with Matt Adams and Stephen Piscotti kind of uh, going between the bench and Jung Ho Gong, so it's sort of like uh, three, uh, two guys or three guys for two positions, mm-hmm. and only one guy on offensive bench because I like to play matchups, especially in a limb team league. I don't want to play Eikhoff in Colorado or uh, you know McCullers in certain places. So you know I was I had a lot as many as many starters as I could have, um, and now I've decided I'm going to play the waiver wire a little bit for those matchups. So if I Mykoff at Miami is fine. Um, I may not play him the next time against if it's um, it's either Atlanta or SF. If it ends up being SF, I might just drop Mykoff. You know, when Sanchez goes to the bullpen, I might just drop him rather than hold him. Because yeah. that's the kind of stuff you do. But I did want to mention the trade. I wanted to mention this because some of our listeners play in, in shallower leagues. And I wanted to say, yes, uh, as much as... Uh, it's not a great idea to go for prospects in an 11 team league. You're going for upside and Bregman could come up and do, you know, kind of, I would say right now, like 280, 15, 15 kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which would be shortstop eligible. And he'd be adding eligibility as he goes. Jerickson Profar, I think has similar type upside and he's suddenly basically a regular, uh, because fielder is hurt, uh, and out for the rest of the year. That's right. That That's a, that's a huge, uh, and, situation then. Profar, Profar is, yeah, Profar is first, second, third, and short, and they're going to play him in the outfield some. So all of a sudden you've got a guy that can play for whatever, um, depending on matchups or, or for for at-bats. You know, Because this is the kind of league, too, where I want to use up every single at-bat by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, It's going to be hard with a bench that deep. So now that I have Profar, every single off day, you know, I've got Profar, uh, Gong, uh, Zobrist, Murphy, and Piscotti. And those guys are just going to – and now Bregman. So those guys are just going to, like, you know, help me make up my, like, three, four, five-game um, deficit in those in those places and get me more counting stats. So, um, you know, it's I just wanted to – you know, that was like – we should have, like, a, a drop for that, you know, like – you know, shallow league time, shallow league time. I like it. We got it. We, we, we really need to come up with like a million drops. Um, yeah, right. Although our own breaking news ones and air horn ones are pretty good. Yeah. Not even going to lie. Um, all right. You know, let's 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 jump on to the next guy here because this guy's out of his mind. This guy got off to a hot start. We were all kind of suspect. And, and then he went in the tank a little bit as as these guys generally do. These rookies. But then he made his adjustment. I'm talking about Aledmus Diaz. Again, fiery start. I want to say he was like 1,100. I'm 
got it now. 1186 OPS in April, killing it. Down to 742 in May, and uh, I'm just looking by month here. Back up to 848 in in June. Honestly, if you take, I think it was if you take all of May and in like the first half of June, it was something in the in the low 700s. And then he caught it going again in in late June into July. But if you just take a look at the July cutoff, since I'm looking by month here, back up to a 1012 OPS. Add it all up. We're looking at Aledmus Diaz has a 319, 387, 533 with 13 bombs. Even has four chip-in steals, only four for seven. So he's a nightmare in net steals. But you're not getting him for that anyway. He's just been he's just been a, a another premium bat that they kind of pulled out of their butts. I didn't know about Aledmus Diaz before this year. Now just because I didn't know about him doesn't mean nobody did. But well, yeah, I don't. If anybody says they were in on him, I don't know about that because every team had a shot at him and they passed. Exactly. They dropped him off the 40-man roster. And, so. and nobody jumped in and said, hey, we got to get this guy. You know, he was at the Fall League in 15. He never came on the radar. None of the none of the scouts or, or prospect guys that, that do seminars there were, were talking him up. This this was this was crazy. I mean, he's, he's been awesome. And so, again, he's hot again. How much do we buy in? Because it's 143 OPS plus for the season and 361 plate appearances for the 25-year-old. He was an all-star, too. It, how, how real is it? You know, I mean, he's, he's a plus exit velocity guy. I mean, if you look at uh, this year, he's had uh, four, five, four weeks over 95. And just to give you an idea, when, you, when Yo uh, Cespedes was – hotter than brimstone last year uh he was he was basically living at 95 and the thing that's wonderful about 95 is it almost doesn't matter what angle you you hit it in if you hit it 95 plus it's a hit i mean it's what it's like one of those uh, golden moments when you hit when you hit the ball 95 plus miles an hour as long as it's not straight into the ground you know it's a hit and it's or a home run i mean 95 plus in the ideal launch angle is like a home run 80 percent of the time so you know and then 95 plus in the in the in the line drive launch angles is a base hit like 75 percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So you're so it's golden. I mean you're you're great when you're that's when you're on fire. Now he's had a couple weeks where he dropped down below average, um, and on some, but on some he's still good. He's still good. He's had a bunch of weeks at 91, 92, 93, and uh, overall he's good. Right now he's on fire again. Three weeks plus, uh, two weeks over 95. Uh, three weeks over average, so in a row. So, um, you know, July has been really good for him. When I talked to him, the All Star Greg, he said it was all about you know adding a leg kick, which just seems so, you know, Le- simple that leg kicks are the thing, man. I actually added yeah. a leg kick to uh, to to when I walked Charlotte, and our walks are just way <laughs> way better. Now I look kind of weird. You're gonna go with softball, man. No, no, I I had to make it something silly. I was gonna go with uh, the video game because that would also be funny if I did a leg kick while. I was, but I went I went with the I went with the walking the dog. Um, that would be really weird. That would be really really weird to see someone. So I don't even know. I can't even imagine just adding like leg dog kicking walk. around while they're while they're walking their dog. Like what the hell is wrong with that guy? Don't worry about it. <laughs> with the, with a video game, at least. Like you're trying to swing and hit the buttons, you could at least sort of like leg kick into the button push. You'd probably lose. You'd probably break some controllers. I probably, I, I break controllers for a different reason. When I get walked off by freaking Aledmus Diaz, 
Oh, are you are you a thrower? No, I used to be though. I really used to be. <laughs> I, I, I won't lie. Um, it was it was you know terrible. Obviously, it's remarkably childish. You can't do that. Uh, these things cost fifty dollars well, a piece listen, too. I've got I've gotten into like uh, I'm a very mild mannered guy. I've gotten into three fights in my entire life, and two of them were over video games. Video games, man, they'll get you. They'll yeah. get you. But no, I, I I can't can't be doing that anymore. I try, I just put the controller down, get up. I whine about it a little bit, and then and then I move <laughs> on. I move on. You know. If he had a controller, he'd probably be chucking it around. I'm talking about Sonny Gray, man, because if you have him on your fantasy team, you're probably throwing something around because you paid a pretty penny, and it's not going well. When he first came off the DL, it was looking like he was going to get back on track. I think his first four-something starts were pretty good. Even the one that he had five earned runs against Texas, they all came in that sixth inning. So you're like, okay, you know, five great innings and then a tough sixth. We can let it go. But then he's come into June, or excuse me, come into July and gone uh, seven uh, earned against Pittsburgh. Now, one against Minnesota, that's nice. A baseline quality start against Toronto, that's passable, but four walks. And then seven again yesterday to Tampa freaking Bay. They can hit lefties a little bit, but they're not, they're not good against righties at all. And they ran him up. What the hell's going on with Sonny Gray? You know, I, I see some – he's a – a tinkerer, actually. I mean, he'll, he'll change his grip on the mound. I mean, I, he won't really talk to me about it, but I've noticed. And uh, so I think he's he's still searching for that second pitch. And he, if you look at his pitch movements, the cutter and slider stuff is all over the over the map. So I don't know if he has, you know, a, sli- a separate slider and a cutter, uh, if it's different from game to game. But the movements on it have changed a lot this year. And uh, for what's worth, the movement on the curveball has changed a little bit too and it's flatter it's not as deep so i think what's happening here is you've got a guy who's trying to throw three raking balls and they're starting to morph together mm-hmm. you can actually look at his cutter slider and curveball vertical movements for the last month and they've literally done that converging thing last year at the end of the year they diverged where they you know the cutter was real nice and flat the slider had good depth around zero, and then the the curveball was at like minus eight at the end of the year. Uh, right now, the uh, cutter is deep, uh, and the slider is still at zero, but the curve is at minus four. So there's definitely something going on with his mix. I think it's the thing that Granky talked about when he threw a slider and a cutter, and they all, you know, they just made they made each other worse. So, so uh, and and you talk about this a lot when guys have the multiple breaking balls that they're they run this risk, this exact risk of of having to you know having it started morph together and not work, and we're seeing that with Gray. This was a guy who was pitching like a top twenty pitcher all of last year, and everything was looking good, and now it's just been an utter nightmare lately. And I don't, yeah. I, just, I don't know what to do. What, yeah. what do you, what do you do with them? I think, I think before you believe in a guy like that, uh, I think you want to talk about. I think you do. You want to look at like percentages and and look at how often they use them, you know. And you know, if we look back on on Sonny Gray, sort of in his past, you know, the only one that was, you know, year to year above ten percent. Let me let me make sure I'm not talking on my butt. Uh, using I'm using Brooks here, but um, 
Okay, so slider was around 10%, but the cutter, you know, has been like 2 to 3% uh, usage. And um, the curve, if you, if you really want to set the bar like above 15%, it's really just been the, the fastballs on the curve in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that, you know, that then, then you sort of start to believe. Uh, I would also look at um, movement and, and look at how steady the movement is. You know, I think with Sonny Gray, you see a lot of this game to game change in movement with Anthony Discaflani. You see like, oh, yeah, that's a curve and that's a slider and they're different and they're not, you know, not affecting each other. If you have the ability to talk to them, then you can talk to them about grip and then you can uh, with Discaflani, you would know he has a slider grip for the slider and a knuckle curve grip for the, the curve. And those are very different. Um, and it's very different than like today I came out with a piece about nines for colors. He manipulates his knuckle curve to, you know, do different things, but I wouldn't give him the, uh, the credit of having, you know, three different breaking balls. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are guys who can manipulate the pressure and do different things. Luke Gregerson, you know, that kind of stuff, those guys, but I don't think we should give them credit for having a ton more. We can just say those guys have good feel for their breaking ball. I would say, you know, conversely, Sonny Gray has lost the field for his breaking ball, and it's hard for me to give you like a rubric for finding in the future. You know what I'm saying? It's it's a it's a this is one of those field things kind of, and he's lost his field. That's what I would say. So it's it, I would say I would look at grips. I would look at uh, percentages in the pitch mix. Uh, maybe watch the games. It's you know it's not. Uh, it's not uh, something you can just say, oh, look, in this number, he has done this, you know? Do you, are there leagues where you're cutting um, Sonny Gray right now? I, I don't... You know, if I, had the, if I had him in that 11-team league, man, it's uh, it's not like his projections are any good. No, I, I, I told somebody this morning that if, they, if he cut him in a 17-teamer, I would understand. In a 17-teamer. Woo. What the hell is he doing? Like, what, what, what am I getting? I mean, I'd still start him at home. I think. I mean, the protections are bad, but they're not that bad. Zip still has him at three five eight one two four. Both of those seven earned run outings were at home. I mean, I, I, I know his projections, right? So I can't just go off of what he's done and say that right. that Sonny Gray is completely toast. But he's given up seven earned runs in four different starts this year, and three of them are at home. The other one at Boston, you can excuse. I'll, I'll, I'll let you take that one off the, off the ledger, even if you want. But that that might only get his, his ERA under uh, under five. I just I, I just I don't know. Yeah, but seventeen team leagues, like you know, a four ERA is not terrible. So. I, I know, and again, I didn't say affirmative, absolutely do it. I said yeah, he gave up five really against kidding. Texas at home, and Tampa at home. You would have started him. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Tampa at home, you definitely would have absolutely. started. Even if you say, oh, I'm not sure I would have started him at Texas at home. Tampa at home, you would have started. Him. And you would have started him against Pittsburgh too. Pittsburgh at home, started him seven runs. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard, and they're leaving them out there. I mean, they're you know seven runs and in seven innings means they're just they're saying figure it out, man. That's and that's so. what tells you, or hopefully tells us that he's he's not hurt again, right? And right, maybe he wasn't even that hurt when he did took the, take the DL stint because it was a minimum. Well, he got a cortisone shot, so there's oh, okay. something. There. Okay, okay, he got a cortisone shot. So um, maybe still hurt. Uh, you know what? Let me pick up the uh, baseball heat maps uh, injury fender real quick. Um, but I, I'd probably drop him in um, like twelve, like shallow twelve, like shallow with like 
maybe three to five bench slots. So 10, uh, 10 obviously. You're talking 11 probably, 12 probably, 14 plus. You're saying no. You know, let me see about where I ranked him, though. 67. I That's actually, you know, that's droppable. I mean, we're talking about 75 pitchers mm-hmm, in 12 team, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, he had another bad outing after these rankings came out. So, you know, I don't, uh, yeah, I could easily see him as being droppable. You know, guys I have around him that I'd rather have now. I had Chris Tillman after him. I'd rather have Chris Tillman. I'd rather have Jonathan Gray. Wow. The Grays have they really, switched. They really have because John John Gray's been on fire lately, pitching well home and okay, away. Okay, we're playing. Would you rather? I didn't even notice. Would, 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 you, would, you, would you get with this? Would you get with that? Would you get with that? Uh, Adam Conley? I love Conley, man. And, okay, I'll make it harder. Fulty. I'm not going to say the rest of his name. Fulty. Actually held up a little bit in Colorado. Not It's not a great fantasy start. I think it was five and two-thirds, three runs. The, the walks were the exactly. worst part. Um, I don't know if I can quite go there yet. Yeah, well, I had, solid, but that, I had Fulty at 74. So we're, we're saying Sonny Gray is, is a just really borderline right there Stephen Wright by the way I I, I was fine with your ranking of him I'm sure that drew some ire I didn't I didn't check the comments to see if it did no uh Stephen Wright were were folks mad at you at all about that one I think someone did mention Uh, him. yeah I don't know I just I think uh I throw my hands up in the air with with yeah I don't he doesn't he does vary the speeds on the ball which I like but the thing that I can hold on to with Ari Dickey when he was really good was he was throwing 81 mile an hour, 82, 83 mile an hour knuckleballs. And I don't see that with, uh, with mm-hmm. Stephen Wright. He does throw mm-hmm. some harder ones, but he's mo- like his hardest ones are like 78, 79, maybe one or 280. But uh, I pulled up Sonny Gray. Uh, it doesn't look good. Uh, on the injury? Uh, strike zone percentage, rolling strike zone percentage uh, was down before his injury, came back up a little bit, is down again. Uh, late game inconsistency uh, was up a little bit before he got injured, down a little bit after he got back, and up again. So I think, uh, and then velocity was down before he got injured, up a little bit, and still up, but down off of uh, a peak in in so maybe May. Yes, hurt again. Yeah, and then uh, total var- uh, total variance um, on his release point is up too. So it's not quite a smoking gun like I saw with Michael Walker before he was yeah. not hurt. So, you know, yeah. there's your, your caveat. But uh, I would guess that whatever's bothering him is bothering him again. All right. Well, Sonny Gray, sorry, folks, that have him because we did not give a positive outlook there at all. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to shift the, uh, the, the rundown up on you here a little bit because you mentioned a guy, Lance McCullers, and you recently wrote on him. Let's go to him first, then we'll, we'll wrap up with two Cleveland Indian guys. Uh, out of their minds right now, including their pitcher going tonight, Trevor Bauer. Uh, but let's start with McCullers. He's either striking you out or walking you. Those are pretty much the two things that are happening right now. His his strikeout rate, I think, would be second if you if you did the qualifying innings. If you if you drop the threshold down to 60, I think his 11.6 Ks per nine would be second to only Jose Fernandez. But the 5.5 walks, I think, would be tops. Um, and, and you don't want to be tops on, on that kind of list. So what's going on with Lance McCullers? We can see the electric stuff, but there's also obviously the, the downside of you can only walk so many before they, they, they can catch up to you a little bit. And we've seen it here and there, 361 ERA, uh, 164 whip. That's tough. 
He's only given up a few runs here and there, but sometimes he can't even go four or five innings because the the walks run up his pitch count to 90-something, and they usually limit him to around 95 pitches per outing on Houston. So, so what's up with Lance McCullers? I would say on some, I, 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 I credit him with being very stand up and giving me. He t- said at some point, like your answers are tough, and he gave me honest answers, and I credit him for that. I'm a little bit worried about the answers he gave. Okay. So, what he said was, yes. My arm slot is down. It's because of the shoulder thing, and we did what we had to do in order to pitch. He said, I changed my arm action in order to pitch. Uh-huh. I changed my slot in order to pitch. And that all that affected his command because when you change your slot and you change your arm action, you change your stuff. And so suddenly he wasn't as in, in command of his stuff and uh, wasn't feeling as confident and got hit around a little bit. And now, like you said, like second worst walk rate if you, if you lower the um, if you lower the Yeah, standards Ubaldo for, still, still got him. So he's five. second in both, second in Ks yeah. to Fernandez, second in walks on the bad end to Ubaldo. And, and I talked about strike one, and that was the only time he said, if I was struggling with that, I wouldn't tell you. That's funny. I like that he was straight uh, up, then, though. But then the rest of it, uh, then he went talking as if he was struggling with strike one uh, because he was like, uh, I'm now throwing a sinker because I think he didn't want to throw that four seam in the zone, felt it was too true and that people were on top mm-hmm. of it, you know? And so, you know, so now he's throwing a sinker. In the last game, he actually re- sort of wildly changed. He used to be throwing a lot of curveballs, like almost one-to-one in terms of curveballs to fastballs on, on, on the first pitch. And his curveball has a bad zone rate, so he's, he can't be he can't be Pomerantz. He throws his curveball too low in the zone, doesn't get enough strike calls on it. So no, that he buries. Uh, yeah, he buries that sucker a lot. Yeah, he buries it. So, uh, so he's not gonna be Pomerantz unless he like that could be a tweak that he could do is just be like, I'm gonna I love my curveball. He said I rely on my curveball. I love it. You know, maybe a tweak could be you know throw that thing higher and make it think make them think it's hanging, but it's still it's still nasty. So uh, that could be a tweak. Uh, the sinker is an interesting one because now he said this is a thing that has a lot of movement and it's 95 and it and it does actually have more movement in both directions than average and is 95. So this could be a really nasty thing. So as much as I'm worried about some of the things he said, the fact that he was straight up about it means that probably it's not he's not too hurt. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like if he was, if he was like. If he was like, oh, God, what's this guy talking about? He'd be like, no, my shoulder is great. I love it. Everything is awesome. Uh, <laughs> Tears streaming down his uh, face. No, I swear to God. Yeah. Swear, no, you can touch it. Go ahead. No, no, touch my shoulder. It feels great. It feels great. <laughs> not there. Not there. No, he said. Uh, he said basically that he thinks he's going to revisit his old arm slot. That that he's that he's feeling better and everything's uh, that like things are coming back. So he really could like hit a really great stretch here because, and my ranking in like the what did I have him like forty or something is. Is such a like uh, well, his downside is down in the seventies, mm-hmm. and his upside is down in the, is up in the twenties. So it was really just a almost a dart throw, but almost nobody combines because what you said, the strikeouts are so great. If these tweaks, if the arm slot comes back up, if the sinker gives them something you can throw in strike one and get strikes with, all of a sudden you're going to see that walk rate go down. Then you're going to see a real difference in K minus BB, right, and strikeouts minus walks, and then McCullers could really take off. If anyone's looking for 
you know, if they're in like third or fourth and they're just looking for, you know, a home run sort of Hail Mary pass, I don't think there are a lot better names right now than going after. And I ranked him as such um, in, in, in mind when I'm when I'm assessing for the rest of the season. I actually had him higher than you. I had him at 29 for that very reason. That, yeah, that, I mean, especially in like a 12 or 15 team league, maybe you should rank guys. I mean, that's I do it in in, in places. So like in the, in the 90s and in the 70s, sometimes uh, upside means more. So Carlos Rodon is 65. He's above Josh Tomlin because not because I think necessarily Josh Tomlin's the projections. Yeah, not because I think their their baseline projections mm-hmm. are the same. But because when you're dealing with the 70th pitcher, I'd rather have Carlos Rodon on my bench in a 15-team league than Josh Tomlin. Totally you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather have that lotto ticket because Carlos Rodon is another name that could really do that. And I did it again in the 90s where that's more 15-team league, right? So, you know, in the 90s, I'd rather have Zach Wheeler uh, than, you know, like a guy like Zach Davies or Bartolo Colon. Bartolo Colon at 102 is probably a little bit low because his projection variance is probably really low. Absolutely. <laughs> Bartolo Colon is probably going to be a 375 guy, you know, either way. It doesn't matter that his perceived velocity is bad. It doesn't nope. matter. You know, he's just going to keep throwing that sinker uh, in places people don't like it. But, but Zach Wheeler could come and give you tons of strikeouts and could be really great uh, if he's healthy. Tyson Ross, similar stuff. So I, And then that's where Blake Snell shows up. You know, that's where... Um, you know, uh, Jose Barrios shows up because those those guys could be you know great lot of picks to pick up for your bench in 15 teams. So McCullers, I think Aaron Nola, those are guys that I like to buy right now uh, in in 12 and 15 team leagues. That if you're looking for pitching, those guys could really turn it around really quickly. I mean, we've seen such great stuff from them in the past, and they're just an adjustment away from you know undoing the damage that has has been done so far. So, yeah, credit to Lance McCullers for, for stand-up answers. Makes me think that even though some of the stuff worried me, uh, there's a chance that we're about to exactly. see it. Exactly, and that, it's that chance that I'm, that I'm really interested in. Speaking of a chance, there's a chance that Tyler Naquin hits nine home runs tonight off Dylan Bundy. Dylan Bundy got, <laughs> got his first start of the season, three and, three and a third against uh, Tampa Bay, and gave up three bombs. Again, I told you earlier, Tampa Bay against righties, they're not that good. So to see that happening, it's obviously one start. It's a young guy making his first major league start, so I don't want to crush him for it. But, you know, he got bombed out. Uh, more to the point, though, this is less about what Bundy's doing and more about what Naquin's doing. The You know, Justin Turner's the guy that we're paying attention to right now on a home run spree. Naquin probably needs just as much attention. He's out of his mind. Like, I cannot even fathom what we're seeing here out of Tyler Naquin even more so than than even Aledmus Diaz because I look and Tyler Naquin had 12 homers in 2014, 15, and 16 combined in the minor leagues. <laughs> All of his minor league time. That would be 798 plate appearances, 12 homers. He had 11 <laughs> homers total in his previous, oh, what's that, about 640 plate appearances before that. Actually, excuse me, 740 plate appearances before that. That would be between uh, his 2013 season where he was in the Arizona Fall League and high A and double A. So he smashed those all together. He had 11 homers. Point is, never been a power guy. When we talked about him, we said not a power guy. Although 
I'd yeah. love to take credit because I actually was pretty pro Tyler Naquin, but not because of this. So I, I don't even want – you know, I thought he could be a good batting average and steals guy. He has three stolen bases because he's turned into – you know, this reminds me of something. Years ago, when I was first really getting into auction leagues, Paul Costava, myself, Paul Costava, who does bullpen report and first base coverage for us, uh, we co-owned a team, and we are talking about getting a guy late for some stolen bases. This, this scrappy second baseman out in Miami – it was Florida at the time – could get us some stolen bases. Let's just go ahead and put $2 on Dan Ugla because he stole 24 bases in the minors a couple years before. And he came out and hit 27 home runs for us. And so I'm not saying that these two are comparable. I'm just saying you get a perception of somebody in the minors. They come up and do something completely different. That's what Tyler Naquin's doing. What the hell's going on, Eno? He's got 12 bombs, uh, a 1023 OPS in 196 plate appearances. I know that plate appearances sample is small. You know, his home run per fly ball rate is like 70,000%. But what's going on? How believable is any of this? Uh, he's made a change. He's made a change. It's a lot like um, Jake Lamb, actually. Rake where, Lamb, you mean? You know, Rake huh? Lamb. Rake Lamb. Uh Tyler, not faking. You know, you're off the podcast. So, <laughs> Colette's full time now. <laughs> Executive decision yep. has been made. Why not just Tyler Rakin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Well, because you already I used know that but one, we, so. we we go back to the well with it again, but we went the other name, right? It was Rake Lamb and Tyler Rakin. I don't know. I, I thought, know. It was better than whatever the hell you said. Not faking. <laughs> Tyler not faking. I hope okay. I'm gonna, actually, I actually know what I'm going to ask baseball reference if they'll put that up as his official nickname, Tyler not faking. Uh, but but he, he's not uh, faking, anyway. and how is he not faking, you know? Well, the thing that he's done is uh, to uh, lower his hands um, in a similar way that Jake Lamb did. Uh, I think he's, uh, let's see, is he closer to the plate? Yes, I think he's gotten closer to the plate a little bit. And uh, he's standing taller, and he's whooping uh, slow pitches on the outside uh, part of the plate. So that uh, I think that what what happens, you get your hands closer. You're not. Um, I think you're just you're creating a more level. You know, I think it's more about having a more level plane. Um, and in standing taller, I think also helps you uh, get to to pitches that are further away from you. So um, although. What are those? Uh, are those in? Oh, he's a lefty. He, he, oh, he's a lefty. lefty. So that's a catcher. So yeah, so they're out out over the plate, and that's where people want to throw you stuff. I mean, people want to throw you breaking stuff out of the plate. So if he's hitting the snot out of breaking stuff out of the plate, you know, and he's hitting stuff, he's really doing a great job low in the zone. Uh, he's been he was the best first half low ball hitter in baseball. I mean, had a slugging percentage of 702 over David Ortiz. So that's the kind of stuff that can really uh, that can really, uh, you know, make you great because this is a low ball league still. However, uh, pitchers have have also started to throw him higher in the zone because he now has this, you know, this swing that's built for low in the zone. So things get out, you know, and if you look at Tyler Naquin, uh, you know, let's see. The pitcher started throwing it. This is a lot of the stuff's taken from August Bakerstrom, who's amazing, and um, you should you should and read him. He's, he's a good. Cleveland fan, right? So he's a bit dialed in. Yeah, um, and let's see here. 
So they started pitching him higher in the zone in June. Uh, let's uh, let's look at Tyler Naquin splits. You know, by the way, uh, if you want to know something about how the sausage is made on this podcast, Fangraphs was down for a little bit during the podcast. My life ends when Fangraphs or baseball references yeah. down. I don't know what to do with myself. I instantly panic. I automatically go to. I'm so glad the panic come through in yeah. my voice. Uh, so uh, guess what? Naquin has a 417 ISO in July, so he has not been affected by this so much. <laughs> Is that good? Uh, Is 417 ISO good? I'm so mad. I traded him away because I just figured he'd be like a 280 guy without well, much, yeah. and then Brant would come back well, yeah, and what, he'd what go was back. The trade again? I don't want to. Put it. No, I don't okay. even want, I'm not okay. even going to say it loud. It's just so upsetting. Yeah, that's. A... I mean, the guy's still on my team. It was Kendall Graveman. Kendall Graveman's been better recently. It's AL Labor. But Laura Michaels, I'm shaking my fist at you. Laura's like, yeah, Tyler's not faking at all on my team right now. <laughs> uh, so people, we got to play with you. Of course, rather. of course we do. Uh, people are asking Jason Hayward. Give me not faking, man. Uh, I'm 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 over Hayward for 2016 because I don't know if the wrist is still hurting him or whatever. You know, he had a little bit of a. Uh, a couple homers there that was making it look like, okay, maybe he's going to start to kind of come around. Uh, no, I'll check back in with Hayward next year. I'll ride out this this Naquin uh, stretch here. I know that it's not going to continue at this clip. Like I said, yeah, I said it was 70,000%. It's like 31% his homer to fly ball ratio. So I get in his BABIP is, is uh, obscene at 417. So those two things are definitely going to come down. But I don't need Tyler Naquin to be a 1023 OPS to beat out Jason Hayward's <laughs> 648. So I can take the regression. Even projections uh, have them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think it's safe when you, when you're looking at two guys, if their projections are similar, then take the guy who's exactly. doing better. Right. I mean, it's, there is no such thing as a hot streak or, or a cold streak. There are adjustments though. And if you're looking at uh, Hayward's projections next to Naquin's, if you, if you prorate them to, to the same like 260 plate appearances left, Hayward would be 260.67. That's projections. Um, and, uh, and Naquin would be 260. Um, five, four. Eight, five, yeah. Uh, yeah projections had five. Steamer has five, four. Um, but I think you got to yeah. bump the power up at but this they, point. But that steamer's also 199. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Good, good call. Good call. So you got to give them more. Yeah. So, uh, so really, they're they're about the same in power, and uh, maybe Naquin steals a, a, a bag or two less, and that's projections, and that's at a 149 ISO the rest of the way. You know, Zips has them at a 170 ISO, so that would be uh, a much more exciting player yeah. there. Uh, and and then there's that factor that you've talked about a lot about. You know how much is he going to steal once he you know starts to uh, understand pitchers better and and have the confidence that he's got his job. I mean, what was Brantley's setback? Brantley is done for the year. Or? Not done for the year, but I, I can't imagine Naquin's going anywhere. I all the talk with them. Right. So at some point, Naquin is not looking over. His no, shoulder because they're not even talking about trading for an outfielder. And I think even if they were. It would be Jose Ramirez or Lonnie Chisenhall that would have to be looking over their shoulder. And Ramirez not even necessarily looking over his shoulder, but maybe moving in back to third base to spell Juan Uribe, who's got a 57 OPS plus. So they could still go yeah. get an outfielder via trade, move Ramirez in, Uribe to the bench, 
and Naquin is I think Naquin is, is locked there. in even when Brantley comes back because he's been so freaking good. Then you ease Brantley back uh, with the traded guy maybe or you know platooning whatever something like that with Chisholm Chisholm's platoon guy. Um, yeah, I think Uribe's job is in more in jeopardy than anybody. What about uh, what uh, about Cole Calhoun who's who's been having a solid season out there? By the way. They kind of sneakily have a passable offense. Like you can't really stream against the 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 Angels because they'll get you. They'll get you every once in a while there. Well, Cron Cron's out, so that 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 take that took away a nice bat. But uh, you know, Pujols, Trout, Calhoun, um, Escobar—they've all been. They, you know, it's, it's it's been passable. So projections would say that Calhoun's probably going to have a better batting average just on projections. Um, not steal as many bases and have uh, similar power. And then who's in a better lineup? Uh, you know, Cleveland's been the, been the better lineup this year. Are they going to maintain the better lineup? You know, uh, if it was OBP, it might lean a little bit more um, Calhoun, mm-hmm. a little bit more history of walking. Um, that one's that's a really tough one. I don't, I don't, you know, just me personally, and that's, I think that's a good way to go with this is just the, the, the sort of sniff test. If it, like, if it was in my ten, if I, in my 11 team league, if I have, I had, I have Calhoun. I don't know that uh, Naquin's on the wire, but we could, we could just test myself right here. What if here someone wanted to trade? What will Eno do? do? It's the new game show that's sweeping the nation. He's on the wire. What will Eno do? Oh will God. he trade? Tyler Naquin for Kendall Grave. I press the plus. Tyler Naquin or Scotty. Scotty. Well, I play Profar at first all the time then. Tyler Naquin versus Cole Calhoun. I don't know. I think I'd go Naquin, man. Calhoun's fine, but what? Okay, here's the thing. And you can maybe tell us. Wrinkle. LPS League. You can maybe tell us who else is on on the wire because. If Naquin falls off, can't you go get a Cole Calhoun type substance? If not Cole Calhoun himself, maybe I should drop Jung Ogong. Maybe you should, man, because ever since uh, you know the, the the allegations come out and the time frame of when the allegations w- were to have occurred, he's been a nightmare. Yeah, and Gong is at forty six percent. Naquin is at forty five percent. I have no need for positional value from Gong because. Uh, he's a third baseman. I just picked up Bregman, like I said. Um, you know, Bregman and Profar are, are lower, but I'm excited about what's about what's happening with them playing time wise. Gong may be out. Gong last you know? 30, 191, 273, 326. Yeah, uh, this is what Eno did. He dropped Jung. And if that doesn't tell you the kind of endorsement, folks. You, you know, I'm, well, this podcast was very pro Jung Ho Gong. I hovered over Calhoun. Though. I hovered over Calhoun. Calhoun, you ha- Calhoun, you're on borrowed time, homie. I'm <laughs> looking at you. You're on borrowed time. Last thirty days. Let's do look at the last thirty days for Calhoun. Two seventy-seven, one homer, one steal. Eh, Poop. You know. Yeah, but, it's all but, right. But Gung's been significantly worse, and of course, could have some legal situations that he's facing if this, if if this, if he, if he did commit these these. Heinous oh, acts. I even shopped him. I even shopped him before he necessarily went in the tank and before the, the allegations came out and, and couldn't get anybody to bite. Because in an eleven team league, you think about it, there's pretty there's there's good eleven short exactly. And third baseman. Way more yeah. than eleven good first basemans. But uh, uh did I say first base first off I said first base. 
And I think I said first base mint. I'm off the podcast. It's Charlotte and Colette. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's Colette, by the way. Uh, (laughs) All right. Let's Cleveland. One more guy here. A guy that, uh, you know, this is the Eno show. These are guys that you've, you've told us about implored us to, to stick with, told us that are good. Talk to these guys. Trevor Bauer is one of your dudes, man. And, He's got. He's always had the stuff. Yeah, I drafted him again in, in AL Labor after he let me yeah, down. Yeah, he was a letdown last year, and you stuck with him, and he has paid off. He's been having a fantastic, a true breakout season. And no surprise that it's come with a big cut of the walks. And in this season especially, he's cut the home runs nearly in half from 1-2 to 0.7 this year, career best, when everyone else is giving up mad homers. So that's really impressive. For, for Trevor Bauer, what's going on with him? Now, he's been a guy who's had like 52 pitches in the past. Has he has he cut down on that? Is he just, uh, you know, manipulating them better? Where, what's going on with Trevor Bauer that has spurred, again, what I would consider a breakout season right now? I think, uh, so one thing that he struggled with is command. That's not, that's that's something you can see from his basic, uh, basic page on Yeah, the back of his baseball card uh, would tell you that. Yeah. And uh, I think basically what's happened is he's found a sinker that he can command that he really likes, and uh, he's using it more. And so he started throwing it, um, you know, front door to lefties, uh, meaning he's throwing the sinker at their hip and it's coming over mm-hmm. into the zone. And some of that is just is is actually I, in the McCullers piece I talked about this a little bit is that uh, you know you have to have the confidence you have to have the confidence to throw a fastball at the hitter you know what yes. I'm saying you know and have the confidence that's going to have that movement that's going to take it in the zone if you look if if you I say this this is all you have to do for Trevor Bauer go to pitcherlist.com okay. Nick and our bo- our boy Nick that we got up, to yeah. meet in in New York by the way yeah. he's the man we like him if you go to his page and just look at the gif that they have for What the hell did you just call it? I don't care. You are so off. That's you are legitimately it. off the podcast. <laughs> I'll do Sunday's episode with Charlotte, then it's Charlotte and Colette from from then on out. Can t- tell us more about your peanut butter that you saw. <laughs> anyway, look at the moving image of <laughs> of Trevor Bowers a uh, two-seam fastball. It's exactly what I'm talking about. He throws it at the hip of a lefty, and then it has like 10 inches of sideways. Oh, movement. my God. And it's, are you yes. looking at us? It's, it's nasty. So it's nasty, nasty, it's nasty. So it's so gross. funny when I talk to him. He's like, oh, middling stuff. I'm mediocre. I'm like, oh, he crushes no. himself. I used to watch his YouTube. He'd be like, yeah, <laughs> a stupid pitch. He'll show it. Moves 50 feet. Okay, Trevor. People would kill for your, your quote-unquote terrible stuff, as you call it. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, he, he, the curveball looks nasty. Uh, the change is good enough. Uh, he's got a cutter thing. Um, that, I think, is probably his worst pitch. And uh, But, you know, when you can throw a fastball really hard and you can command it, uh, you look at that ground ball rate soar. And you look at that, uh, and you look at that walk rate go down. That's that's all. Um, that's all. You know, sinker. Mm-hmm. And I probably uh, did him a disservice uh, by ranking him 61st. But that's solidly mixed league material. He should be owned mostly. No, I was way higher on your boy than you were. 
Well, you know, when you're moving a guy from 118. That's true. That's, you, 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 got, you can't go too nuts. And you've been burned in the past. And all the projections are not great for him. But, I mean, they're going to miss on command things like of this. Of course, because they're and, all, you know, all the projections are going off of what – he was bad. Like, Trevor Bauer was not good the last two years. 455, 131 was not usable anywhere last year. Two years ago, 418, 138 probably had some AL usability. Um I always feel like he's come up short on strikeouts too. I feel like he has better strikeout stuff. Is there any reason behind that, or or maybe he, I overrate his stuff a little bit? Uh, you know, I once told him that he had a curveball that was in the top five for whiff rates, and he said that's just because of how I use so it. Nasty. So I, I think that it's it, there's something to that where um, you know one of his best assets is velocity. And uh, the rest ha- is stuff that he's working on and tinkering. And, and so, um, you know, but it's not quite cash in territory. I mean, perceived velocity is exactly the same as a- actual velocity. It's more, uh, more almost like a Carrasco thing where it's like, you know, he's, he's got decent stuff and he's trying to figure out how to use it. But look at that Tampa start, 10 strikeouts, one walk. Uh, even his bad starts like the New York, you know, against the Yankees, Four strikeouts, two walks, you know, five point two innings, five earned runs. That's not going to kill you. No, you, you it's you, not. You can, you can know, not a Sunny Gray start. Yeah, you can get through that because he's surrounded it with so Plus, much. Uh, he, and the the best thing, um, and I don't know how many he had last year, but I know Trevor Bauer had some five walk games last year. He hasn't walked more than three in a single outing this year, which is huge. I mean, he, yeah, because uh, I remember last year his opener. Remember he had the six no hit innings, but it was five walks. So he already had 111 pitches, so there was no chance he was going to get the no-hitter. Yeah, four different times last year, he walked more than five, including a, a high of six against the Yankees at one point. He walked four-plus in eight of his 31 outings. Trevor Bauer, again, has not walked more than three in a single outing. That alone, just that simplistic measure, tells us that he's made some advances with, uh, with commanding his stuff more regularly. I've got to go to the park. All right. Have a great time at the park. i got to go ahead and, uh, I don't know, do something. Probably post this podcast, uh, brief Charlotte on how to post the podcast going forward since this was our final episode. Um, And then, obviously, after I eat dinner, I have to get get those 125 strikeouts with Justin Verlander. Oh, Justin Verlander. (sighs) Eno, have a great time at the park. Oh, your homeboy. I can't wait, man. I really hope I get that. Get that get that prime card pretty soon. It's rated a 97. Uh, 99 is the highest rating, so to, to be a 97 card, it's going to be pretty special. It's going to be a lot of fun. This has been a pleasure. It's been great. Uh, I love doing the podcast. This is one of our best ones of the year, actually. For our last one, it was pretty good. We both got kicked off the podcast. That's the bummer, but yeah, we went the bang. Uh, again, uh, I might still do the Sunday one with Charlotte, but then it'll be Charlotte's life the rest of the way. You know, have a great time at the park. I'll talk to you.